Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Our new series in Luke called Glorious Disruption, being taught by our senior pastor, Kevin Dibley, is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. So as we are um, worshiping together this morning, I want to uh, remind you, whoops, sorry, I can hear the thing kicking behind me, so that okay? Got it. Um, I want to remind you what the event of worship is about. Um, when we come together as a congregation of believers on a Sunday, it is an obedience to the directive of our King and our Lord. We come because Christ has called us together, and we come because as the body of Christ, we believe Jesus is present with us. So that in the reading of Scripture and in the singing of songs and in the praying, Jesus ministers to his body through all of us as a corporate event. And so uh, when you come on Sundays, uh, you should say to your kids, we're going to see Jesus. We're going to meet with Jesus. We're going to listen to Jesus. We're going to be ministered to by Jesus. And I hope that has happened to you already this morning. You know, one of the things that stood out to me in this service, which was different uh, than the first service, is the line, he is the ancient of days. And we called and sang, you are the gran yo soy, the great I am. And I just felt this morning um, the Lord saying, there's a lot that changes in our lives. There are changes that come upon our life that uh, we don't invite, that we don't want, that we can't predict. You and I are so changeable. But he's the ancient of days. He is the great I am. He will not change. He will not leave you. He will not run out of grace. He will not be short on mercy. He will not leave us or forsake us. Will you hear that, church? I don't know who needs to hear that, but I want you to hear that today. Everything around you might be in flux. He is not. His promises never fail. And we open up the Word of God today and study the Word of God because we believe Jesus in the power of the Spirit will minister to our hearts and do what needs to be done today in our hearts because he is the ancient of days. He saw this day, the day after Robert's funeral, he saw it before the foundation of the world. He saw you. And he has not changed. And his resolve to love, to save, to care, to resurrect, and to come again has not changed. And that's what we rest in, right? That's what we rest in. Um, this morning in the first service, I had a couple come up to me at the end of the service 
and say to me that the Lord was speaking to them the last two Sundays. Talking to them about some forgiveness that needed to take place. And as I was listening to the miracle of the ministry of the word of God, they were weeping and we were praying together that God was freeing them. I want you to hear this. These texts that we are studying are given by the mercy of God to free you from the terrible curse of bitterness and unforgiveness that so captivates our lives that does not allow us to be who Christ is for us. And so we need to hear this word today. And so in the providence of God, we kind of split it up last week. And last week, I said to you, in this text of Scripture, Christ is holding up to his disciples on the Sermon on the Plain. This is a new game, folks. It's a new game. What you are accustomed to in religion, it's done. Judgment, self-righteousness, religiosity, it is over. I have come to announce to my enemies that the God of the universe loves them and the Son who is of the heart of the Father will redeem them and die for them. I'm coming for my enemies. Those of you who want to unfriend your enemies cannot be part of the kingdom of God. Got it? It's radical. It's shifting it. But to the person who's been a thousand times unfriended, to the person who is sitting in their shame and guilt for things they've not done or things they have done and, and that they shouldn't have done. For that person, Jesus looks them with the piercing, loving eyes and says, I'm coming for you. I'm here for you. doesn't matter what you heard in your head. doesn't matter what you heard from somebody else. You, you hear me. I've come to forgive. There's a scene uh, so I, this is where I get in trouble this morning. I'm going to talk football, and I'm going to refer to the Green Bay Packers, so I confess my sins for some of you, and accept the love of another narrow group. Um, but uh, there is a, a famous moment in Green Bay Packer history, most of you will know it, it was uh, after the Green Bay Packers were beat out of the playoffs um, by the Philadelphia Eagles in, I think it was 1960, in July of 1961, Vince Lombardi pulls the team together. They had a good team. They were building on the last year. The team came into practice, and they thought to themselves, coming into practice, we just need to build on last year. We've got to go forward. And Vince Lombardi walks out, and he lifts his hand up with a football in his hand, and he says, gentlemen, this is what? A football. <laughs> That's what he said. This is is a football. They weren't going to start where they left off. They were going to go back to the very beginning. We're going to learn the rudimentary principles. Jesus, in this sermon, this is not later on when they fumbled a hundred times. Because he knows they're going to fumble. That's why he teaches it early. He picks this up and he stands in front of the people and he says, this is the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the gospel. God has come for his enemies. If you don't get that, you can't play on the team. If you don't get that, you won't understand why I'm here. 
If you don't understand when I say love your enemies, what I mean, that's what this is about. A God who so loved his enemies that he gave his only begotten son, that they might be set free. Are you not glad for that? Because let me announce to you, you are his enemies apart from Jesus. I am his enemy. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what we saw last week is that we are called by Jesus to embrace the methodology of the kingdom, the methodology of the gospel. And that gospel is to go and love our enemies. And what he means, and I hope this is helpful to you, what he means is you must do this practically. There are practical expressions of faith when you love your enemies that he is calling us to. So let me quickly summarize what we saw last week. We are, number one, to respond to blatant hatred with, by doing good blatantly. You are to bless your enemies, right? You are to do good to those who wrong you. So I want to help you with this. He means what he says. To battle unforgiveness and to love our enemies is not simply to say in my heart, okay, now I love you, my enemy. What he's actually saying is when they wrong you, your response is radically different than the world. It is aligned with him. Let me ask you, did God just tell us he loved us? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You can't do a greater good than to give the only good to an undeserving world. That's what he did. So we are to respond to blatant hatred by doing good blatantly. We are to respond with verbal abuse, with verbal kindness, and that means praying and blessing. And sometimes it's the praying where you start. So if somebody has verbally insulted you, if somebody has ridiculed your faith, what do you do? You talk back. But not like most people do. First, I would advise you talk back to God. And you get on your knees and you say, Father, this person has deeply wounded me. I pray that you would deeply bless them. Is that counterintuitive? Ladies and gentlemen, this is a football. This is the gospel. Father, love them as you first loved me. You pray a blessing on them, and when you speak to them, and I'm going to add this, I didn't say this in the first service, but I'm going to add it, when you talk about them, bless them that's hard isn't it it's miraculous it's not intuitive john said that a few weeks ago this kingdom message is not intuitive it is to the spirit it is to christ it is to the father and it is by the spirit what he trains us and produces in it so respond to verbal abuse with verbal kindness respond to public humiliation with unrelenting love right Keep on loving them. So when, the reason people, you know, he said, if they slap you in the face, what are you to do? Give them, give them the other cheek. What are you doing when you do that? You're saying, you can slap me a hundred times. I'm not going to stop loving you. 
They spit on Jesus. They put a crown of thorns into his brow. They pierced him. They ridiculed him. They paraded him around and mocked him. Did Jesus say, I've had enough? I'll call down a thousand angels. I'll silence you. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the gospel. He said here, respond. Finally, the last one was respond to potential manipulation and abuse with gospel generosity. What if they take advantage of me? What if they do it wrong? Don't worry about it. That's God's business. You don't have to sort them. You don't have to settle it. You serve him and him only. Right? It's freeing. It is freeing when you don't have to fix every wrong. Because there is someone who will fix all wrongs. Again, there's lots that we can talk about the nuances of this. But let me at least say this is the inclination of the gospel. This is what it is to live out the gospel. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now let me tell you something. This is crushingly difficult. It is impossible in the real life where you've been wounded. And there's part of us that need to recognize that what Jesus is calling us to do what he's calling us out into is something that terrifies us. We feel vulnerable. We already feel abused, right? We feel endangered by all this. And Jesus is actually, I said this last week, hostility is the place where God does his surgery, the battlefield. But he's not just doing surgery on our enemies turning hearts of stone into hearts of flesh he's doing surgery on his sons and daughters and 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 the only place to get the surgery to get the mri to get the x-ray of the condition of your heart is to step in that condition where you discover what's in your heart or see what's in your heart and my dear friends that's what loving your enemies is about isn't it all about your enemies it's all about there's enemies in the camp here self-sabotaging enemies. Here's the good news, and I want to tell you this. Jesus is not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done. Jesus isn't doing this so that you would earn your way into his favor. He has already fulfilled all of this on your behalf before God. He's inviting you to experience the transforming power of the gospel as you offer the transforming power of the gospel. So I want to read to you from a text I was looking at this week in Isaiah 42. I think this is helpful. Lest the the message sounds harsh, impossible, and all of this, it's a prophetic statement in Isaiah 42 which talks about the coming of Jesus, our Messiah. Listen to the description here. Isaiah 42. This is the God talking about the Messiah. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Even if I stop there for a moment, how much did God love his son? Talk about sacrificial love. He delights in his son. This is my son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He said, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry loud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. I love this line. 
A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And I just want to say to you, I know some of you are bruised reeds. And I know some of you, because of sin and woundedness and wrong, some of you feel like you're a faintly burning wick. I am just barely holding on. I want to say this to you. He is not going in the command of the gospel to crush you. He's not going to leave you hanging out there. He's not going to put you in a situation where you're going to feel abandoned. So I, there's all kinds of reminders I want to put on you. This kind of ministry happens corporately, happens as a congregation. We have to help one another in all of these things. We need to be in, in serving and ministering to one another. So we need to hear and, and visualize in the body, you're not alone. He's not going to abandon you, that we're with one another. But I just wanted to say that this morning because what we're asked to do, this is... This is essentially what Jesus, he's going to give us commands on how we're to go about loving each other, but he's doing it as an invitation to do introspection. So in a, in a, in a moment, he's going to say uh, how we're to love one another, and as we read it, he's going to say it in such a way that you're supposed to stop and go, oh. You're supposed to go in your heart for a moment. And what you need to hear in that Isaiah text is when he invites you to go to that scary place in your heart where you need to forgive and love your enemies, when you start to go there, just remember he's not going to crush you. He's not going to let you go. And, and in Luke's gospel, you'll see a couple things going on. Uh, one, you'll see Jesus praying a lot. And then you'll also hear him urgently teach his disciples to pray. And so um, here's my advice out of this text. When we hear the conviction of this text, what you want to do is just pray. Um, when you, He invites you to introspect, not so you fix yourself. He invites you to go in so that you run to him and say, help me uh, in these areas. And so what I, the way I've set this up is I'm going to walk through the text and I want to give you ways to pray to Jesus when, it, when you have to love, learn to love your enemies. So let's just walk through that, and as we do it, ask Jesus to do the heart surgery that's needed. Here's the first thing I want you to see. I want you to pray for Christ to foster gospel empathy in your heart. That's the starting point. Pray for uh, Christ to produce or to foster in your heart gospel empathy. Look at verse 31 of uh, Luke 6. He says, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Got that? What, what do we call that in culture? That's the, the golden rule. I'm going to tell you that the way the culture teaches the golden rule most of the time is wrong. We like the golden rule, right? That sounds reasonable to us. The golden rule says treat others the way that you want to be treated. If we all did that, the world would be a better place. Absolutely. That's not what he's teaching. What Jesus is teaching is when you're sinning, how do you want people to treat you? Right? That's the context. Loving your enemies. When your enemies wrong you, when they persecute you, when they ridicule you, when they publicly insult you, 
When they're doing that, when they're sinning blatantly in your face, what's supposed to go on in your head? How would I want to be treated if I was doing exactly what they were doing? Now, that should trigger the gospel. Friends, this is a football. Got it? It should trigger the gospel. Because the gospel is what? God loves his enemies. Let me give you news. You have done everything your enemies have done to you. You've done it. And you've done it to him. And aren't you glad? Let Let me announce this. You sinned, sorry, you sinned all week this week. You sinned on the way to church today. I had a good mentor who taught me Christ died for every sermon I ever preached and every prayer I've ever prayed. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's true. Thank God that Christ treated me the way I want to be treated. Let me ask you, how did you want Christ to treat you when you were impatient this week? When you were self-righteous this week? When you were unloving this week, when you were lusting this week, when you were greedy this week, when you were proud this week, when you were unbelieving this week, what did you hope at the beginning of the day and what did you rest on on the end of the day? You rested at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day on this one hope, Jesus, don't treat me according to my sins, but treat me according to your mercy. Now let me ask you this question. Jesus says that you should love others and treat them the way you would want to be treated. That's when they're sinning. Got it? Wow. It's miraculous, isn't it? So what does that look like? Let me give you a couple of practical illustrations, and then you'll have to work this out your whole life. <laughs> and you'll, have lots of, you'll get lots of practice, just so you know, especially if I'm your friend. <laughs> but here's a couple of them. Number one. In a culture of quick polarization, uh, uh, quick polarization, I just this is our culture. This love your enemies is powerful in this culture. We are so easily polarized. We are instantaneously tweeting garbage, right? We are responding to evil with evil. That's the culture. You're either for us or against us. In a culture of quick polarization, choose to give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't you want that? Oh, yeah, somebody's sinning against you. But even if you took a second and said, what was their day like? What was their father like? What is their marriage like? What is their sorrow like? How many women in every church have been sexually abused? How many men? Oh, the dog bites you. There's a story. It's not excusable. But don't you want people to stop and think why you're struggling? Why you're afraid? Why you're scared? Why you haven't slept all week? What's your biggest worry? Come on, Christians. When you look at a sinner who's sinning at you, how, how would you want to be treated? Isn't that good? 
Don't be quick. There's a story and there is a soul that matters to God. Thank you, Jesus, that you see us and love us, knowing everything about us. Here's another illustration. In cases of personal injury, think of what you did to Christ and how he fought and died for you. And so if there's a direct wrong against you, just weigh it against Jesus. Just think about what Christ has suffered on your behalf. There's, I, I like, I, I have a weird taste. I was going to say what kind of music I like. I like all kinds of weird music. So, um, but I, there's an Irish folk song that's um, called The Parting Glass. I like it because of the vocals. But there's a line in it that's absolutely heretical. It says, and of all the harm, I always say it in Scottish accent because I can't do Irish, of all the harm that e'er I've done, Alas, was done to none but me. <laughs> I, I listen to that song and I go, you have to sing that after you've drunk. Uh, four Guinnesses, right? You can't sing it before, right? Because if you're in the most honest, sober-minded, of all the wrong I've ever done, alas, the harm was done to me, was only to, oh my, my goodness, No. David, when he was convicted of his sin of adultery in Psalm 51, said, against you and you alone have I sinned. And he wasn't saying he hadn't sinned against others. He's saying, my sin is fundamentally and profoundly against the one who gave me the very life by which I sinned with the strength he gave me. Against you. Isn't that helpful sometimes when you're, when you're trying to ask the Lord just to say, okay, how do I... How do I think about this and give somebody the benefit of that and all these things? I could slow down and go, man, they're sinning against me, but I sinned against Jesus. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes. It causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. You feel those notes? Not when I sing them, when a real singer sings them. <laughs> right? It does. It causes me to tremble. Just stop when people sin. Ask Christ, give me empathy by saying, you did this. You did it against me. I love you. Let me give you another one. In times of momentary hostility, Keep your eye on eternity. You might suffer for a moment, but what hangs in the balance is everlasting. And at what you're suffering for a moment, in it, I'm not saying it's light, it's hard, but in that moment, God will transform it for your good. So listen to Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Having suffered to the point at the beginning of the letter, he said, we despaired even of life. We're not going to hide it from you. We despaired even of life. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. For this, what? Light, momentary affliction. Do you know Paul's afflictions? They weren't light. They weren't momentary. All day long, he says, we are like sheep to be slaughtered. Sign me up for another tour. That's what he said. But he said, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God is doing something lasting in our lives. Take, take heart, friends. Take heart. Secondly, ask Christ to help you choose the most beneficial thing. Of all the responses you can make to your enemies when they wrong you, pray. Let me get, let, let me get this right. Let me choose the best option in all my reactions. You know what it's like. When you've been wronged, you go through all your options. Oh, if I could only get a moment aside, right? Okay, I'll let him have it. I'll let him know. We'll show them, right? You can dream a thousand dreams. The problem is if you dream in the flesh, it's all death. You need to dream in the spirit, which is a whole nother way. So listen to what Jesus says in this text of Scripture. He says, um, verse 32, if you love those who love you, what? What's the word here? Benefit. And that word is, is the Greek word for grace. What grace is there in you? What benefit is you if you love those who love you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit? is for you what's the motivation that jesus is using here he's telling you you can benefit from your enemies not loving you by the way you respond you can be transformed and changed by being wronged against that's the gospel friends this is a football we're not messing with the powers of men we're messing with the power of god the gospel is the power of god unto salvation it can save sinners and it can save you you can say, me. And so when we look at this text, we say, okay, Lord, come and do. So, so you know, the, that personal question you ask, the introspection question number two is, what's the most spiritually beneficial thing to do here? And let me give you some of the benefits. Just quickly, I'll give you some of the benefits that can come from responding with love to your enemies. Number one, the beauty of increased conformity to Christ. That's what we're aiming for, right? You have jagged edges, friends, of unbelief. You have jagged edges of selfishness. You have jagged edges of um, religiosity, pride. I have jagged edges of arrogance, jagged edges of self-love. My enemies are a file in the hand of my Savior to take the edges down and to conform me to his likeness. James writes in James chapter 1, count it all, what? Joy. Joy, brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Paul writes in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What's he saying? He's saying this is a football. You are to be changed 
and transformed. Don't do what you would normally do. Sinners love those that love them. What benefit is that? You just stay in your sin. You stay, you increase in your hard-heartedness. You become more religious, more self-righteous. You become more bitter, more angry, more unbelieving, more disoriented. There's no joy there. Come on, God. File the edges off. One of the blessings of not being loved by your enemies and loving them in return is the beauty of increased conformity to Christ. Here's another one. The pleasure of deep communion with Christ. You know, when Paul was making choices in his life and his ministry, he was at, at, in, in Acts 20, he's at Ephesus. And, a, and, and in those next chapters, the prophets come, Agabus comes, and tells a man, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to tie you up. They're going to they're take you. They're going to cause you to suffer. And everybody's pleading. They're weeping with him. Paul, don't go. Don't go. Don't go there. Don't go to Jerusalem. Do anything but go to Jerusalem. And what's in Paul's mind? Philippians, you see it in Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ. And the power of his fellowship of his sufferings. And the power of his resurrection. You know, you can say you know Jesus suffered for you and loved you in your sin. You can say it, we can sing it, you can forget it before you hit the parking lot. But when your enemies don't love you and you love in return, suddenly you and Jesus have a lot of alone time. A lot of one-on-one. I'm going to tell you that the days of comfort when you get to glory will not compare with the days of sorrow where Jesus became excruciatingly, wonderfully, delightfully near to you and precious to you. It, this is not saying it's easy, but it says he's not going to break the bruised reed. He's not going to quench the smoldering flax. He's going to meet you there. And Terry, you, you don't know this, and it sounds hollow, but Jesus is going to become an incredible husband to you. He loves you. He's not going to let you go. He's going to care for you. And Timothy, I just, I have been where you were at your age, Tara. And I didn't know. Tara wrote a great letter yesterday. She said, I don't know how I'm going to do life. I know how that feels, hon. He won't let you go. Jesus will become sweeter. And I pray to God you'll see him through us. But he'll become far sweeter. Ask Jesus to keep you close so that you might be conformed to his likeness. That's a great gift. Let me give you another one. This is the last one. There's way more than this. But one of the things that also we get out of this is the promise of eternal co-regency with Christ. Now this may sound really vague to you, but let me say this. Paul says to Timothy, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also what? Reign with him. There is a day coming when we will all leave this world. But it's not to a worse world. (laughs) We are joint heirs with Christ. Let me tell you this. You are sons and daughters of the king. You are royalty. 
before God. That's what you are in him. And, and that's why when Jesus says this text, look at Luke chapter 6, he says to us, and if you uh, lend to those who lend what credit, if, if you, even sinners do the same, if you love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be what? Sons of the Most High. And, and here's the great future for all of us. Adam and Eve were supposed to be regents in creation. They were given dominion over all things. How'd they do with it? Not well. We've been living under the curse ever since. Jesus is going to make all things new. And those who have trusted him and suffered and advanced the gospel in his name, they will reign with him over creation in love and in justice and, and in space justice and righteousness forevermore. My dear friends, that'll be great. Glorious. You, you, you are that person. So that leads me to the third application here of praying, um, ask Christ to help you live like what you are. Sons and daughters of the king, right? If you do this, you will be like your father. That's what he says here. You will be like your heavenly father. Jesus is talking to this motley crew. You will be like your father, he says. You will be sons of the? The grand soy, the great I am, the most high. You are sons of that God. You are daughters of that God. Hear me today. This is not so that you could become one. This is so that you would act like it. So I am a citizen of the British, um, what do you call it? How can I even forget? <laughs> Don't say Canada. Commonwealth, there you go. I'm such a good citizen, I can't even remember the Commonwealth. So our queen is like 280 years old right now. I like Queen Elizabeth, she's spunky. And she's, you know, she's, she wears odd hats, I like that too. But, you know, what's the problem with Queen Elizabeth right now? And she needs to find a new regent, a new king. The problem is, there's this, like, the royal family's a mess. It's a mess. And so she thinks, like, who am I going to pass the mantle on that has the credibility. What Jesus is saying here is you are royal family. And in the royal family, we don't act like the world. We don't turn on one another. We don't bite one another. We don't gossip one another. We love our enemies. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a football. This is the gospel. We do it differently. You act this way, you'll be behaving like who you are. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart for God that you might declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. Finally, in this text, we should ask Christ to take away any hesitancy or lack of generosity in loving our enemies. My friends, listen to this. He is not saying here, grit your teeth and do this. Did Jesus just grit his teeth and do this? He was all in. 
He drank it all. He did it all. Now listen to the language here. Verse 37, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's interesting when you think about this because I think this is what Jesus is saying. He says, you want to know blessing? Do this. You're not going to be blessed a little bit by going out and loving your enemies. I'm going to bring you grace like you've never seen before. I'm going to put the grain into your bag. Hold it up. Beggar, hold it up. I'm going to pour it in. Not a little bit. I'm going to pour it in. Then I'm going to pack it down, and I'm going to put more in. And I'm going to make sure the edges are filled right up. Some of you are cold to God. You wonder, where are you, God? Friends, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Go and be what he's called you to be by faith. You you don't do it when you get the bag full of grace. You do it and watch the bag fill. Corey Ten Boom was preaching in Germany after she had suffered the Holocaust, after she had lost her best friend and sister, and as she was preaching, teaching in Germany at a, a man heard her, and she said, I was in Ravensbrück, and my sister Betsy died, and described all of that. A German man stood up at the end and came up to her and said, Fraulein, I was in Ravensbrück. And she knew him right away. Flashback. Her sister's gaunt figure. The clothes piled, the nakedness, the shame, the death, the humiliation. He said, Fraulein, I was in Ravensbrook. God has forgiven me. I am a Christian. He put out his hand and said, will you forgive me? Corey Ten Boom was standing there thinking, Lord, I do not have within me the means to forgive this man. And the Lord said, but I have forgiven you. And Corey Ten Boom lifts her hand, puts it into the hand of the Nazi soldier who was responsible for the death of those she loved. And she said, By faith, I forgive you. And this is how she describes it. She said, I felt a charge go down my arm. And she said, in that moment, I felt the forgiveness of God. In fact, she said, I have never felt the love of God like that in my life. Friends, I'm not asking you to do something easy. I'm not asking me with you to do something easy. I'm asking you to do the impossible by faith, trusting that Christ will show up, change the world, and heal the deepest wounds in your life. That's what he calls us to. He will not break you if you're bruised, and he will not snuff you out if you feel like your faith is smoldering. He will keep you. He is that great of a Savior. How do I know this? 
if he already died for you while you were yet a sinner, how much more will he now love you now that you're righteous in him? Isn't that true? Amen. He's done the heavy lifting. Amen. He'll now do the rest. So let's pray. Let's pray for help. Let's pray for light. So God, we have had a tough couple of weeks here. And uh, we just need to see Jesus. We need to lift our eyes up on the cross and hear him say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He said that over my pathetic life. And he set me free so that I would not be not only set free from the burden of my own sin, but that I might be set free from the burdens of all that sin against me. Because he has said what matters. I am forgiven. And he has given me identity, no matter what any man says, that I am a son of the king. And we are daughters, children of the king. And he has said that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he has said, in my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, what have I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That where I am, you may be also. Sweet words. Father, help us. Our hearts are tired. They're weak. They're frail. Lead us by faith, we ask. In the only name that can help us, in the name of Jesus. God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.